Hello and welcome to another edition of the Ulster Rugby Roundup. You asked for a return to our pessimistic roots this week and with three defeats on the spin, there's nothing else for it. So I brought in just the men for the job, Michael Sadler and Richard Mulligan joining me, John and Bradley. Guys, how are you? Oh, great. All ready to be nice and glum and downbeat now. So limbering up. Yes, I'm, I'm in good form too, ready to be objective and a little bit more upbeat than Michael, perhaps. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, undoubtedly. I don't think anyone was harboring much hopes of Rainbow Cup success coming into this week. So we'll put the, uh, the outcome aside and just look at the performance, I think, to start with. Michael, what did you <clears throat> pick out from that uh, another bad day in Thoman Park for Ulster? Uh, yeah, I mean... Um... It's hard. I, I didn't pick out very much, to be honest, Jonathan, and it could be partly to do with perhaps a general amount of apathy surrounding the competition, which probably infects nearly everyone when talking about it. And, and maybe it's also infecting the players. I think uh, I mean, Dan, Dan made reference to the fact that it was very, very hard to shake off um, you know, the, the psychological blows that they received for losing at Welford Road. And it certainly looked that that, 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 that could well have been the case here. They just they they just did not perform. They didn't look particularly on it. They let they just let the game slide, and their performance um, just did not hit any of the the marks. I think that it ought to have. There were a few perhaps individual flurries from people, but the collective was very very poor. And you you know you have to feel for them. But that was a difficult a very difficult fixture to come back off. You know the 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 the, the, the the problems that undoubtedly they, that lingered with them after basically losing uh, to Leicester Tigers and not making the European Challenge Cup final, it looked like that was hanging over the performance. I don't think anyone was denying it hung over the performance. You know, they, they, they just did not look at the races at all and conceded another handful of points against admittedly a strong enough Ulster to, or Munster team. But then Ulster were, you know, didn't look too badly off either in that regard. So... Takeaways? I, I don't know. I don't know what I have, really. Um, <laughs> just the fact that they've got to now play Leinster, which probably is the, the one fixture that they would never have wanted to face. Well, when you mentioned that team selection, and Stuart McCluskey made reference to it in the aftermath, that while, yes, it was a strong monster team, there wasn't a huge deal of difference between the two <laughs> sides on paper in the sense that it was probably a slightly stronger Ulster team than we were expecting and you know you mentioned the Leicester Tigers thing there I'm wondering Richard do you think it's fair to wonder why there's been such talk of a hangover from the Leicester result when you could equally point to Leinster and say well they lost to La Rochelle in the Champions Cup now admittedly at home this weekend but they managed to shake it off without too much problems is that fair or is that Comparing apples to oranges when you're talking about what success in the Challenge Cup would have meant to this group of Ulster players. Yeah, I mean, I have to admit, I was after the Munster game and I saw some of the comments on social media from some fans and, 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 and non-fans, to be fair. 
and I was watching this, this I mean, the start of the Leinster game, Connacht had gone into a bit of a lead, and I was I was almost getting myself armed to tweak, well, look, you know, Leinster have just lost three in the bounce as well, <laughs> and you're not maybe complaining the same way, but it didn't it didn't work out that way. There was a bit of a hangover from Europe, I think, and I think, Jonathan, as, as, as we discussed last week, I mean, Ulster not winning, the, or not getting to the final of the Challenge Cup and putting them in a position to win that competition this year has probably hurt them an awful lot more than, than we actually are prepared to maybe acknowledge to a degree. I wouldn't say the performance against Munster was embarrassing. I suppose both you and Michael would have would have had to sit and watch that whole game the whole way through, whereas I maybe had the, had the option of, well, I can turn this off after a while. No, I didn't, to be fair. Living in hope that I might be asked on another podcast, you know. But um, Always ready, Rick, always ready. Yep, just in case. So I, so I actually had a few notes written down, you know, and I think for me, if, if, if you look at the... The team selection was a wee bit surprised. I was a bit surprised when I saw the team selection. And I think some of the players looked a little bit jaded that were involved. Maybe were a little bit tired and maybe were carrying a bit of disappointment on the back of the week before. But for me, you know, the likes of David McCann, and I, and I compared the two games almost to the Zebra game at the end of the Pro 14 campaign. I know it was, it was a really strange game. And Ulster won that game comfortably. But the performance was very similar in a way. It, 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 didn't, it didn't match what you expected from Ulster in this came through against Munster, I thought. Like, you know, David McCann disappointed against Zebra that day. And for me, he was one player I was expecting to see, look, this is an opportunity for you to go. Michael Lurie at out half, again, um, didn't quite perform. And look, you're in the back foot. There's a fly half. It's not great when you're in the back foot. I thought Callum Reid, when he came on, gave a good account for himself um, from a positive. I think what it reflects maybe in a way is when we put the young players out, because the Pro 14 has maybe been not as competitive as it has been in the past, these young guys maybe shine a bit more. And then when they do come into a tight game, like when they're playing, I mean, when they're playing against Munster, Connacht, Leinster, or an English or a French side, as we've seen, then we maybe see really where they are and, and, and where they need to develop their game. And looking forward to playing Leinster, it's going to be a difficult, difficult test for them down there. And I think... The Rainbow Cup has to be taken in its isolation completely from the rest of the season. I think Dan McFarland, and I know Jonathan, you had ran the piece this morning, I think, um, him, uh, and we heard him after the match saying players had there and the right to play in it. Yeah, I think that's right. And yeah, but I think this is also an opportunity for Ulster really now to start thinking ahead to to next season and let's give guys and combinations a bit more of a try. Yeah, I think to look at those at the season in blocks, you know, to win. 16 of your first 20 in competitions that you cared about, shall we say, um, does mean that as much as this is a three-game losing streak, it probably is important to separate the Rainbow Cup games from every other game that's been played this season. So one of the listener questions that we had was from Niall McDonald this week asking, are fans reading too much into these Rainbow Cup defeats, essentially because it is the Rainbow Cup? Michael, what do you think? Well, um, I think... You know, the, the, this competition will be forgotten about. There's no doubt about that. So perhaps we're getting too hung up on, you know, the the, the, the lack of form maybe that they've, they've brought into it. But nevertheless, as a professional organisation, you never, ever want to go out and lose games. You definitely don't want to put a string of defeats together, no matter what the situation is. And unfortunately, that seems to be where we're, we're at at the moment. Uh, my my main concern would be just how it would affect them in-house. 
because you know, as as a head coach, your players have to turn up and 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 tr- and do the business for you. And you know, it's not looked very good, you know, in their first their first outings. Um, all admittedly, you know, sandwiched between Leicester Tigers, and I think that though the competition itself is not really very relevant now, particularly for Ulster, but not relevant anyway, they do have to try to, to you know, finish it with some kind of flourish to build on towards next season. I think it would be a dreadful situation if they were to lose again at the weekend and then lose whatever is also left and it just dribbles away. I think that makes it very, very difficult for them psychologically potentially and also makes it very difficult for Dan McFarlane going forward because it's it, that's just not a good look. And I don't mean that in a way that anyone really is going to go, oh dear, things are going wrong because they're losing Rainbow Cup games. I just mean as a, as a general collective, an in-house thing, there's no way they want to do that. That, that is not going to, to play well should it ultimately uh, pan out like that. So hopefully it won't. And admittedly, this weekend does look rather, it, do, it looks ominous. We know they have won there before, but, you know, it's as rare as hen's teeth, as they say. But I, I, I think it's important that they try to string together something with some consistency at this point of the season, regardless of how we view the Rainbow Cup, which is not something that is exciting any of us, let's face it. No, well, obviously, I think if they are, you know, if they lose to Leinster on uh, Friday night to make it four games, you know, I think it would be some something of a doomsday scenario to go into next season on uh, a six-game losing streak. I suppose to dig a bit deeper into just the, the individual performances, if you assume that this doesn't have the same level of meaning to some of the more established players, um, it is a big opportunity for those guys that are getting chances Richard, you you mentioned uh, Dave McCann there, but I'm just I'm wondering what you thought of the other guys that were getting sort of rare opportunities in the team in Marcus Ray, and then especially Callum Reid coming off the bench. Yeah, as I mentioned, Callum Reid, I, I I thought he added a bit more bite to them, and he's keen to be involved, and you, and you could see that. And I'm not saying that the the other players didn't want to be there type thing, because at the end of the day, they're professional rugby players, and I agree with what Michael said there. You know, they want to go out and give a good account of themselves. But, I mean, Callum Reid, I thought he should be given another opportunity this weekend. Um, and I think Angus Curtis was the other one that we were really pleased to see coming back. And he looks a real live wire. And, I, I mean, he's had a horrendous time. And I know that he was picked out afterwards, and Dan mentioned him as well. Um, but I think it, it, because of a young player coming back the way he did from injury and everything, the, he's another one that should be given an opportunity. And Michael Lurie will probably be disappointed with the way he went against Munster um, it's another big ask again to go against Leinster I think you have to persevere with it do the other senior players want to have a bit of game time I, I, I think you saw the way Dan balanced it on the bench last week you know and, and if you look at the that first quarter or the, sorry the third quarter just after half time when they made the changes also were a different side almost um, a bit, most of was a bit reflective of Leicester Leicester against them when when uh, Ulster came out and, and looked a lot better than they were in the first half Callum Reid, I'd like to see a bit more David McCann and Angus Curtis. And Ethan McElroy, I think, is going to learn a lot from these games <clears> as well. And he's already been thrown in at the deep end. Like he played in a European Challenge Cup semi-final. Um, so I'd like to see him benefiting from the next two, three, four games, whatever <clears> it <throat> might be, Jonathan. Yeah, like you mentioned the changes at halftime. I don't remember Dan ever making five at halftime in anything that's not a preseason friendly. And it's probably even more dramatic when you consider that he couldn't bring Hume on because of um, the red card to Will Addison. And he wasn't going to bring Sam Carter or Angus 
Curtis on to play a full half, given they were coming back from injury. So essentially, he changed as much as he could. Now you've mentioned uh, you mentioned Mike Lowry there, and it was a question we had in from Benjo Rui mm. in the listener questions just about his performance and what we made of it. Before I get on that point, we we actually won a captain's challenge. That we should point that out. Something good did happen. Yes, yes. Remember? Yes, Michael, so we, you're right. We did. <laughs> We did, but so that things are looking up. Um, I I don't know. I think he may well bring Billy Burns back, but I mean that would be very harsh on Michael because I don't. It, it was it was difficult for him. You know, people will naturally point out through the intercept, but I mean, really, I don't think in any way that he had a particularly bad game. I think he played with played as well as he could under the circumstances. Shall we say? It would be unfortunate for him if if he was rotated out. Though they could, of course, put him in at fullback and maybe rest Jacob this time. I don't know what they might do. And I suppose Dan has to balance this this weekend in particular with... We were talking about... Um, well, Richard, you were mentioning you mean, how many young players you'd like to see having a crack, which is absolutely fine. And it is very much what this we hope this competition might be about. But I suppose he's got to balance that up with the fact that this is a game which could run away from them in a horrible way, potentially. And that's regardless of, of, of trying to get people like, you know, Callum Reid out there again, is, is just not something that he wants to happen. What is it now? Something like, well, including the Leicester game, I think it's 97 points in three games and 13 tries have been conceded over those three games. These things are not, that they're not what Ulster are about. They're not what Ulster want to happen. So it's a very difficult balancing act, I think, for Dan to put enough out that will hopefully go after Leinster and not necessarily put people out who might be exposed in a very difficult situation. My God, how many times have we seen it with people at the RDS? It, it's it's an awful place for young guys to potentially go to. Though, sorry, I beg your pardon, I said that sometimes when the, the most callow teams haven't cared and have put it up to them, uh, I, I suppose, uh, but still lost having said that. So it's a difficult balancing act. I'd like to see Michael going to 10 again. I really would. Um, and I think it would be good for him to get an opportunity to because he couldn't have been feeling good about his own performance and yet he shouldn't beat himself up over it. And I think it would be good to see him going again because he's he's a super player and he brings so much, I think, to the team. But I have a sneaking suspicion. I don't know what you think, Richard, that Billy Burns might come back and Michael's best hope is maybe 15 if they rest or they could move Jacob to wing. No, I, I agree with you, Michael. I mean, I think if they're looking at Michael Larry as being a potential out half going forward and, and that... It's been talked about an awful lot, and I think he has to get consistency in that position. And whether you know if, if it means him playing out half right now to the end of the Rainbow Cup, just to give, I think playing with John Cooney as well would would certainly help him. I think there has to be that consistency. But I think Michael, as you say, um, we may see a revert back to to fullback where I think he should have started against Leicester Tigers, um, as I said yeah. last week, because I think he is he is a talented, talented player and. I hope that he hasn't been. I, I don't think it's in his nature. I don't. I don't think he's been holding his head in his hands this week. Kind of going, oh, that was pretty awful last week. I think he'll he'll be bouncing right back. And and I think it would be. It's probably not the game to be looking for a big big performance, but it is what it is. And if he gets the opportunity to go with ten again, I would be really pleased to see that. And just finally, before we move on from the monster game, it probably says a lot that we haven't mentioned it up to this point. <laughs> Not the most controversial of red cards, will we say? Did anyone have any complaints about a uh, <laughs> red card? None whatsoever. Um, as soon as as, as soon as I saw it, I went, "Oh, poor Will, he's just back, and here he is. He's going to have a red card here." And I, I, I don't think there was any malicious. It wasn't malicious. Um, 
although there did seem to be a lot of niggle going on in there, and Will seemed to be the one that was um, uh, maybe instrumental in the niggle to a degree. You know, I yeah, we should have had Adam on this week because there was a touch of the uh, there was a touch of the ice hockey brawl about that. Uh, there was <laughs> first <laughs> just two guys being like, right, okay, let's go. <laughs> One of those games where you had the old the old schoolyard scrap going on at one point, and then you had the red card, and there seemed to be a bit of niggle going on at the start. And I thought Rory was lucky that he didn't get a yellow card at the start of the game, which they have come down on in other games because he was the he was the instigator and in, in that. But um, look, it was it was it was nothing could be done about the red card. And to be fair, I thought Ulster dealt with it relatively well. Certainly in the second half, they started well and they actually scored when they were down to fourteen. But Monster exploited the overlap a couple of times, as we saw as well. But no <laughs> arguments from me. No, none from me either. I just feel very unfortunate for Will because, you know, he's so luckless. He, you know, now he's going to get banned. He just cannot, cannot buy himself a slice of luck, can he? The poor, poor guy. But he, he'd have to hold his head up. He's entirely at fault for that. And it, that may not... There may have been something in it because of the scandal thing, but it could have also been just he's so ring-rusty that he just got his timing all wrong. I'd like to think it's more to do with that than the other, but there's no, there's absolutely no debate. He had to go. And it's probably not what World Rugby wanted to see, I imagine, from this new law trial. We've seen it uh, in the Southern Hemisphere as well over the weekend. These players being replaced after dangerous, uh, dangerous play. It was, it was very strange to see, obviously, the red card and then, um, to almost the split second later, remember that James Hume could come on after 20 minutes. Like, what what do we think of this rule, or what do we think of the law? I suppose now that we've seen it in action up close, that one was particularly bad. But let's maybe look at the Premiership game, Harlequins and Wasps at the weekend, and what and what Mike Brown did, and he and that those laws were were in place. <clears throat> Somebody would be allowed to come on 20 minutes later to to replace what Mike Brown did, you know, and you're kind of thinking, no, that's where it's so wrong. Um, whereas I suppose in Will's situation, I don't think there was any malice in it. It was probably on the higher scale, if you like. I mean, they did talk about the mitigation and the player was going down, but mm-hmm. look, I don't like the red card substitution law. I just don't like it. I think it's it, 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 it leaves too much open. And I think if you get a red card, you get a red card mm-hmm. and... That's the end of it. I don't care if it's the first minute of the game or it's the last minute of the game, whatever. I, 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 I don't think it's a good law variation to have. Yeah, I'm afraid I'm going to be Luddite about it as well. I think a red card means you're you're gone. And I, I don't like the thought that, you know, you can you can bring somebody on for that uh, to bring you back up to full strength. Clearly, it didn't work at all for us <laughs> because they shipped the whole you know, barrel load of points before James Hume was able to get his tracksuit off, really. But there's, you're right. I, I, I don't know. Maybe, you know, with more time, you know, and more exposure to it, you, your opinion might differ in the end. But from what I've seen, certainly, and it's just I've just seen the Rainbow Cup games. No, I, I don't like it at all. So somebody has to, I mean, Johnny, you got to have a different opinion now. Come on. You, well, I don't have like an opinion off the back of what we saw this weekend because the red cards that we saw this weekend, like you mentioned the Mike Brown one, like the red cards that we saw this weekend in all competitions, to my mind, were nailed on and the type that <laughs> should be punished. I suppose to play devil's advocate, it's the ones like the Andy Warwick one a few weeks ago that you're sort of thinking, 
Like, is that really worth playing that long with 14 men? Or some of the other, you know, obviously the one that everyone here is going to go back to is the Jared Payne one where it's, you know, mistimed early. But then you've got the same argument, I suppose, about um, trying to eradicate dangerous play and having that duty of care to the opponents where intent doesn't matter or shouldn't matter and whether it's a steep enough punishment to eradicate even the mistimed, which is just as dangerous as the intentional in the effect of what it does to the opposition player, I suppose. But I suppose we'll need we'll need a softer red card during this Rainbow Cup for this uh, yeah, this trial to yeah. get some to get some good PR back because it was uh, it was a tough weekend for it. Yeah. Maybe it's coming Jonathan, this weekend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think Jonathan. I mean, if you look back, if you go back about four months ago, um, certainly in the prem. I mean, there was a lot of stuff in the Premiership. And I mean, I did I mean, I think we, we've all ended up watching an awful lot more rugby. Maybe, well, maybe you guys don't. Maybe I have the time to do it. I don't know. But I've watched an awful lot more rugby. And you've seen red cards given for high tackles that maybe weren't so dangerous. But by the letter of the law, it's a red card. And all of a sudden, after two or three weeks of red cards being bandied about, I mean, teams were finishing with 13 players each or 13 players and 14 players. And all of a sudden the number of cards reduced and you saw it quite significant in the, in the European competitions that the, the number red, the level of number of red cards that were being issued were, were less because players were taking responsibility that, for their actions and they were tackling lower um, and making sure that they were going into the contact, right? So for this law of variation to even have been thought about, I'm thinking this is going against what you're trying to bring into the game. Um, but I think, as you say, a softer red card, I mean, was it, is it the black card in, in, in GAA, you know, but but where do you draw the line? And, and are we going to be stopping and starting the game even more than it is already? Well, I think that's the thing about the GAA as well, that they differentiate, I suppose, between levels of red card, or sorry, levels yep. of offence, because it's yes. cynical, cynical fouls draw a black card, and it's really for things that are more than a yellow, um, yes. I suppose. But the thing that's very hard to... to adjudicated on I suppose is intent because you don't have mm. you know you you nobody is a mind reader so like Mike Brown can make the argument if he chooses to that that was accidental and there's no way of proving that it was or it wasn't so that I think that's where you have the danger even with Will Addison's like I think it's you know having spent a limited amount of time with Will and you can look at it and think that's probably not in his character but it's equally not for a referee to make a judgment on that so it's i suppose finding that balance between punishing things that really really deserve a red card and not ruining games or not taking away from the spectacle of the biggest games like we saw during the six nations but contrary to what you may have expected from listening to the first chunk of this podcast it wasn't all bad news last week because there was the lions announcement so there was a positive to talk about so I think from an Ulster perspective, Ian Henderson definitely, as we said last week, was the best, the best hope. It was still going to be with some very accomplished players that he had to beat to get into that place in in Warren Gatland's squad that was announced on Thursday. So I suppose just initial reactions in general, and we'll get to Henderson later, but Michael, your initial reaction um, to the squad. Yes. <laughs> Very interesting. Um, I'm trying to remember if it was uh, about the same sort of we had the same sort of reaction four years ago, and I'm afraid I can't. That you 
you, you focus very much on those who've been left out. You know, there's been a lot of debate about Johnny Sex. And personally, I think Gatland's right about that. I think he explained his decision at some length as well. But you've also got people um, like Kyle Sinclair. I mean, you saw his reaction in the post-match and how utterly devastated he was. And he may well indeed have a point. People like, you know, Jonathan Davis, not included. You know, James Ryan, not included. You know, and you kind of wonder what exactly Gatland is striving to do. But I haven't said that, despite the fact that there are a number of high-profile names. Of course, CJ Standard didn't make it either. That's another. Henry Slade. You know, you could go on, particularly with some notable English players. Um, I still think that, give him the benefit of the doubt, he knows what he's doing. This is a very, very different Lions tour from anyone we've ever had before. Uh, it's not only shorter, but these guys are going to be basically living in this bubble. So hes I'm assuming what he's tried to do is get the strongest personalities as well as what he feels are players who can can deliver to him on you know for him on the pitch and, and move on from there. I think Ian Henderson was very close to perhaps missing out. It looks like it was possibly between him and Ryan. Very glad that he's there. And he, I'm sure he's extremely relieved that he's there. It's entirely based on what he did in the Six Nations. But that's very good to see. And I suppose the other thing worth pointing out is this 37-man squad. It's just not going to be the same players, I think, by the time they get to getting on, you know, to, to getting up into the plane. People are going to fall out of this squad because of all the rugby that's still having to be played. But no, my initial reaction was a lot of head-scratching. Not too difficult to find out players who maybe ought to have been there who weren't considered. But having said that, very interested to see why it is that Warren Gatlin thinks that this is his combination. And I mean, I would, I would back him because I think he... He does know what he's doing. Yeah, Michael alluded to a few of the surprises there. I suppose definitely Kyle Sinclair, one of the more surprising omissions, along with a few of the Irish guys. Surprise inclusions, maybe uh, maybe Bondiaki. I certainly didn't see him mentioned by anyone in the build-up. That was a bit of a surprise, Rick. Looking at it from, I suppose, a more positive point of view, who do you think is primed to have a really good tour here? Yeah, um, I think you mentioned... Bondiaki was a complete surprise, and, and, and maybe maybe Jack Conan as well, perhaps. And, um, but picking a test side at this stage is is, is is difficult. I mean, Ian Henderson will probably have to do a lot of work in those games that he's playing in, in the build-up to the test. I think he has the potential to do it because he had he was probably one of the best performers in the in Ireland for the six during the Six Nations, and obviously Gatlin has a he obviously has a depth definite style of mind and I think you've got to, you've got a feel for the, the, the coaches as well because all they can judge the Springboks on is the World Cup in 2019 okay they got to a World Cup final and won it and they and, and they beat England up pretty badly in that final but that's basically what they're based on I suppose the Rainbow Cup's a, a saviour for the for the Lions coaches because they can see the South African the South African mm-hmm. clubs playing in it so <laughs> that's the one positive perhaps the Rainbow Cup does have um one of the one of the interesting, I think you could see Bundyaki and Robbie Henshaw fronting up the centre partnership in the tests. Um, if he's certainly going for an abrasive style, um, you can see that happening. As Michael mentioned, it's going to be a very. Or, or, I'm not sure what's the two you mentioned, but it's going to be a very unusual tour going out there to a bubble, training in a different way. And I, I mean, I, I see this morning that they've rescheduled the game so that there's less traveling involved. They're, um, they've moved some of the games around so they're closer together. There's two games in one place, and, and I think the first test comes in the back of two other games in the same place. I haven't read it in detail, so I don't know, but I just happened to see that this morning. I wouldn't want to be 
selecting anybody for a test set at this moment in time? I mean, will the captain, Alwyn Jones, even get a, a start in the first test? <clears throat> um, I don't know. Um, everybody's saying it's going to be Ian Henderson will be the backup lock um, for the test, perhaps. I'm not 100% sure. I think Hendel will... Hendel grows into the thing and he can probably count himself unlucky last time in New Zealand that he didn't get a start, having played really well in, in five out of the six games, if you like. Um, it's difficult to, to select a potential test, but I think centre partnerships um, and Robbie will probably front that up. Yeah, because there's obviously a huge amount riding now on these, uh, these warm-up games because there has just been... I suppose everything is going to be that bit more disparate just with the with the nature of the tour as well and there being fewer games to start with. But then when you think about the distance between, I suppose, the serious European games for a lot of these players and this tour starting, like a lot of these guys are only going to be seen in, in Rainbow Cup action. Obviously, the premiership's going a bit longer. But if you think about it, take Monster as an example. Mm-hmm. Or you know, to Bondiaki at Connacht, or <laughs> even worse, the Scottish, you know, the Scottish contingent that are at Edinburgh and Glasgow. Like it's going to feel like a really long time since they've put together a serious body of work by the time this tour rolls around. So more than ever, I think these uh, mm-hmm. these warm up games are going to be hugely hugely important in terms of selecting that test team, but. One thing I suppose that Henderson does have working for him, Michael, is it's not something we've seen in a while, but it's that ability to play six as well. Because you look at um, the way this squad's been constituted, the people that are listed as locks in Byrne, Henderson, Laws, Etoje, one thing they all have on their side is versatility. And maybe that's something that counted against you, Ryan. Would you think that's a possibility? Yeah, I definitely think that was more than a possibility. I mean, he, you know, he, had, he has the likes of, you've already mentioned, you know, Ty Burns in there. Um, Courtney Laws who can play six anyway did he need to have a third one well he's got a third one more than a merrier I would say they're, they're fully expecting it to be despite South Africa's rustiness the usual physical encounter they must front up to it and I mean size and versatility are both going to be very important in the selection of this test side I would actually say that he's got a fair idea in his mind what the test side is actually at the moment simply because he's so you know, the itinerary is so tight there are going to be positions that are up for grabs, but I think you can sort of pencil in quite a few people already. And I think the the way he's gone about the squad tends to reflect that. And I think Richard's absolutely right. I think the Aki-Henshaw combination could be uh, a pivotal one in Gatlin's mind at the moment. And if they gel at all, they should. But remember, Bundy hasn't played in a while. But if, if, they, if they do, and, and, and they both bring Bundy's physicality with Henshaw's skill set and his own physicality, of course, that could well be, they could well already be, sorry, I should say, penciled in with somebody like Owen Farrell, potentially either missing out or, you know, battling to get in at 10. We we can assume Connor Murray will be the number nine unless something goes very badly wrong uh, when you're talking about perhaps more, rather more than penciling somebody in. But at this stage, with so much rugby still to go, you would hesitate to be absolutely 100% confident that somebody in that, 37 isn't going to you know, break down at some stage. I hope not, because there's nothing worse is there, than actually being, and a number of players have experienced this before, the likes of Jerry Flannery, for instance. Um, I even go back further. I think Peter Clossy had happened to as well. 
they get selected and then they can't go. And then we had Alan Quinlan, of course, who sort of fell out for, of the squad for a completely different reason, <laughs> namely Leo Cullen and his eye sockets or whatever. But, um, you know, there's nothing worse now. And, and all those players will be on tenterhooks. They'll deny it, but they will be. They'll be worried. They want to make this. They want to get there. And unfortunately, if they look at their their itineraries, particularly those in the Premiership, they'll be going, oh, right, there's quite a lot to do here before this happens. But sorry to get back to your original question. Yes, versatility, very important. Robbie Henshaw can feature 12 or 13 at a push. So can, I think, Bundiaki could do it as well. So, you know, you've got this sort of idea that people can interchange positions. And I think that's absolutely critical in this tour because I think Gatlin's already said that if he can avoid it, he doesn't want to be in a position where he's starting to call certain people out. I think that was the reason he gave for not going with Johnny Sexton in case there were issues. It's just not going to be an ideal situation for doing that. So you're hoping very much that that 37-man squad will have the versatility to be able to function throughout this shortened and very high-pressure environment that they're uh, going to be operating in. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good point because, like, <clears throat> I think we always think of the people that get injured in that time between departure and the test series. You know, like, I suppose Kane Healy springs to mind, Stephen Ferris springs to mind in 13 and then 09. Like, but there is going to be a very real concern for these guys, whether it's in the back of their minds or the front of their mind, that they're going to get injured before the tour. It has to be a massive concern for them. And in England, I don't think it's going to be at the forefront because obviously an awful lot of these guys are fighting for the title, fighting for the playoffs, fighting even for the top six. But what do we think it's going to mean for the players that are in the Rainbow Cup? Like Ian Henderson is obviously going to be the prime example, like Ulster bottom of the Rainbow Cup table, they're not going to have any say in where this silverware goes. Like, how do you think players and coaches are going to weigh this up? Because you obviously don't want to be turning up in the middle of June having not played for a month and a half either. So it's a fine balancing act, isn't it? It is. And I think if I'm right, the, on average, Lance Tour, four of the original player's name don't actually go on the tour um don't quote me on those stats but i think having looked back at it i think it's something around four players and you would hate to think that ian henderson would be one of those four players and you're right jonathan the rainbow cup isn't that important to ulster now as it may have been two weeks ago and but yet handy probably needs a wee bit of game time but can you say right well we'll play in henderson for 20 minutes or 40 minutes or whatever and not give somebody else the opportunity it was interesting the way handy talked at his press conference last thursday in relation to how he manages things off the pitch so you know he can probably do enough off the pitch because whenever they go into those training sessions <laughs> and the start of the lions tour It'll bring you up to game, game contact and all the rest of it very, very quickly because it is. I mean, I, I mean, I, and I did ask him that question to give us an idea of what the intensity is like at a Lions, at a Lions training session. Um, so you know what, I think Hendo doesn't need to be playing an awful lot of rugby between now and the end of the month um, or the end of uh, June <coughs> to um, do him any harm on getting a test place at the Lions. Because we, we sort of had a similar debate. Four years ago, like Ulster were out of the running for the playoffs at that stage. It was all sort of building up towards PNR's departure. It was the, the dominant story, I suppose. We had best PN and Henderson all in, all in position there and sort of being like, you know, do they play, do they not play things? So it is going to be a difficult balance for the coaches 
all throughout the Rainbow Cup, but specifically at Ulster. And I suppose just looking at the selection on the whole more, because we've talked about the fallout from last week. There is still this week's game to talk about. So what sort of selection do we want to see? Henderson aside from Dan McFarland this week. I think you'll go something similar to last week. I don't think you can... You can't go to Dublin too weak. And I think Mike alluded to it earlier. You know, you've had three defeats on the bounce. You don't want to have a fourth. And if you send a weak team... Oh, well, you know, in the past, I suppose, sending weaker teams, we've done it against Munster. Ulster have gone to Munster and produced a big result. I suppose, ironically, this would be the time they would beat Leinster um, when it absolutely means nothing whatsoever. And then everybody gets excited about, oh, they beat Leinster in Dublin, the hoodoo's off the back, and then come to a proper competitive game in, in the Pro 16 or Europe, but it falls back. But I think he'll go something similar to, as to what he did last week. I think we talked about Michael Lowry, and I think we talked about Callum Reid. And you're right, Michael, Callum, it's not right to throw him in there at the deep end again, coming off the bench, perhaps. And then Dan wants to give players selection on merit and how they go and train and, and he'll go with a nice balance of experience and youth how's that a cop out this is exactly the sort of game that they will turn up and do something extraordinary um, yeah. <laughs> you know but I, I don't want to go down too far down that route because Donald Donald Riley be very disappointed because he was quite shocked that there was a, an air of optimism coming from myself and Jonathan recently so I gotta be <laughs> careful about that happened. I don't want to yeah I don't want look what happened exactly I don't want to not only shock him, but, you know, worry anybody, you know, that they're, they're connected. Yeah, I mean, you, you know what? You've, you've hit the nail on the head. It doesn't really matter, does it? I mean, how much do Leinster want to succeed in the Rainbow Cup? I don't know. But the danger is, you know, that I don't think Tyg Furlong played last week, did he? So, you know, people like him and, and Keane Healy come out and Callagher and Ryan was available, I think, isn't he? Yeah, I think so. I, I can't remember the the actual Leinster injury list, which is considerable in places, but they've still got the, the strength and depth. I think it's such a hard call for, for Dan McFarland because, you know, even the dogs in the street know this is a this 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 fixture always has a bad feel and look to it. He's got to have a backbone of experience in the team. I think he's got to go with that. He just simply can't uh, load it with, with young fellas and give them exposure uh, without a spine of leadership in the team, which may mean that, you know, Andy goes again. I see Sam Carter's likely to be involved as well. And, you know, maybe they'll hand the captain's armband to him or, or Jordy and, and rest. Andy. Well, we really don't know. But I think it would be wrong to throw in a lot of young players willy-nilly and say, out you go. Then again, it could be completely right because they might just go out and, <laughs> and not care and just play as they feel. I mean, what was it? One, the, one year they did something like that and actually, I think it was actually... It was twenty, yeah, Christmas twenty nineteen. They got a, you know, they they got beat, but they brought something back because they scored the four tries, which is yeah. I think they only lost by about ten points, didn't they? Most Ulster visiting teams have managed. Yeah, that's right. They really came charging back into the game because they had no, they had no particular issue about who they were playing and where they were playing. They were just young guys who were going for it. Well, Leinster obviously had their own degree of soul-searching over the past fortnight, given their European exit. Now, they bounced back <clears> in um, typically <throat> emphatic fashion against Connacht. But one of the, I suppose, talking points to come from that La Rochelle defeat has just been Leinster's use of NIQ. So the weekly donor has come in um, 
referencing Bernard Jackman and a statement he made about the impact of NIQs on Leinster squads in the past and their importance. And just looking at that through an Ulster gaze, I suppose he wants to know that with Marcel leaving, Sam Carter having missed so many games through injury and the question marks around Leonie Nakawara coming in, is it fair to assume that the squad will suffer a drop next season? Now, Jordy Murphy has already sort of referenced this by saying that every squad in the world near enough would miss Marcel Katsia if he was absent. But I suppose just to look at the impact of the NIQs, and we talked a bit about this last week, but just do we think that that is a fair assumption that this squad just isn't going to be as good next season? Without Marcel, look, he 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 did have a big impact within that squad. There's no there's no doubt about it. And he was a good NIQ. Okay, you could look back and you could say, I suppose this time three years ago or two years ago, we were probably saying, well, Marcel hasn't played all season. We have we didn't make good use of our NIQ there, and then he had another season and. and but when he did play, he 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 was value. He brought value to the squad, and I think that's where your NIQ has to come from. And I think you want to see homegrown talent. And I think it's important. But and I think Leinster are obviously relying on homegrown talent quite a bit. But they bring NIQs in who add value to the squad, and that's where Leinster, that's where Ulster need to be looking at. Um, if you look at the Millers and the Pinars in the past, they added <clears> value <throat> to the squad. Could see it added value to the squad. Nakawara may not add the same value to the to the squad as those players did in the past. Well, maybe we'll see. It's just about getting that balance right. But you need to get a. You, if you're going to bring in an NIQ, it has to be a good. It has to be a good signing. No, that, that's true. We, we we didn't mention Matt Fadas there as well, who we assume is is leaving. And I think it's fair to say that it hasn't really worked out for him either. And you're really hoping that with uh, Nakarawa, he kind of turns into, I mentioned this before, a Nick Williams, in that somehow or other, Dan is able to press the right buttons and get something out of him. But I think if, if, if that's the basis that you're, you're working off your NIQ, that's not a great starting point, is it? Because the, the player is not arriving here looking as if he is ready to add significant value in the way some of them have been. Um, it's a problem. You know, the money's not there as well. And... It's difficult to go to market, I suppose, and, and, and go after people. Losing Marcel the way Ulster did was unfortunate, I think, too. That you know, there was still a part of the season to go, but he was injured. So what was the point? And you could look back and say, yes, he did, of course, add plenty of value. But when it really came to the crunch games, did he? He was very, very good in Pro 14 games and various European games. But really, how did it help when we were in uh, knockout situations? It maybe didn't. Sorry, that's not taking anything away from him. He is a world-class player. You know, it was just a really unfortunate thing, wasn't it, that Ulster never really got that full value for a player of his quality. And then there was Charles Piatai as well. Remember those days when they opened the, you know, the chest, the war chest, and out came the money? And that didn't really work out either. So I suppose you're right. You have to be very selective about this, and you have to get it just right. And unfortunately, Ulster, you know, it's, it's mixed, isn't it? Some work, some don't. And we just don't know with Leone what, what, what we're going to get, do we, really? Or indeed, if there'll be another one, because, you know, they've lost Marcel and they're going to presumably lose Matt Fadis. I, I'm not sure if there's scope for another one, does, you know? Um, yeah, well, I mean, we've, as we often do, we've had a few listener questions in about recruitment, but recruitment, I suppose, in the way that we're talking about it now, is really geared towards not next season, but the season after it, like, 
I know, uh, obviously, like Lamape signed for um, for Stad there the other day, but like the vast majority of business, certainly at least two, the Northern Hemisphere is already done. So we're assuming that unless something out of the blue happens, that this is the squad that they're going to be going with next season. So just with that in mind, like the last listener question that we'll deal with before we wrap up for this week is uh, from Philip Todd, and he just wants to know, what do we think would constitute success for this Ulster squad next season bearing in mind that the South African teams are going to be coming in and we don't think that there's going to be a Challenge Cup campaign unless again something changed with the Champions Cup format it doesn't look like Ulster are going to find themselves in that position where they are the best team in the eyes of the bookies anyway left in a competition so when we're thinking about next season and given that we're in the midst of the Rainbow Cup why not think to next season what do we think would constitute continued progress for Ulster? It's a tricky one, Jonathan. I mean, Pro 14 final last year, European Challenge Cup semi-final this year. Winning the Pro 14 has to be the primary goal for Ulster next year. That would be another step up for them winning the Pro 14, or sorry, the Pro, sorry, the Pro 16, as it will be. It will become a little bit more difficult, I have no doubt, with the South African sides coming in. Um, but that has to be the primary goal, has to be to win that Pro 16 competition. Anything that happens in Europe then is a bonus. And given that they've made the quarterfinals two years in a row, and I mean the semi-final of the Challenge Cup this year, again, you, you need to be looking at finishing in the, inside those top eight places in Europe. And you take your luck in the draw after that. I mean... Do you say that a home draw is success? Probably. That would be my two things that I would see Ulster. Uh, they have to win their, their own league, possibly getting a home draw in the quarterfinals in Europe. Michael, Champions. what do you think of that whenever you consider that Leinster remain Leinster, obviously. Munster are going to have RG Snyman back. Uh, the Bulls are going to be coming in. Sharks are going to be coming in. You know, it, I mean, is there an argument to me that Ulster are going to be the fifth favourites for the league next year? Well, I... I have a horrible feeling that we'll look back on this season as a, not so much a missed opportunity, but a season where getting to the levels they got to, the Pro 14 final and the semi-final, the Challenge Cup, are not likely to be matched next season. And you would like to think that in some way they, they could be with, of course, the, the additional idea and notion of winning the Pro 16, um, which I, 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 don't, I, can't, I really can't see them doing it with this squad um, next season, the Pro 16. And... I really don't know how they're going to manage. I, I just think that this was a this missed opportunity at Welford Road is one that's going to really. And I hope I'm wrong. Believe me, Donald. I hope I'm wrong. I just if you're listening, that is going to be like a ball and chain to them when they look back um, after next season. I, I can't honestly see them making the Pro 16 final next season. And I think Richard's right. Last eight in Europe, if they manage somehow to get a home, you know, home quarter. You could argue that was some part of some form of progress, but in the Champions Cup, it's going to be really, really tough for them to get beyond that. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if if both these goals, if you like, knockout rugby in Europe and making it, you know, all the way to, to contest the Pro 16 turn out to be just too difficult for them next season. But I'd be the first to be to be absolutely delighted that I'm wrong in, in thinking that that could be the outcome. I sincerely hope I am wrong. And I'm not just saying it to be a doom and gloom merchant. I'm looking at it realistically and just thinking how difficult it's going to be against the South Africans and how difficult Europe is at the best of times and how this was a, a glorious opportunity when they dropped 
down into the Challenge Cup to, 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 to go and contest a final and finally, finally, you know, get their hands on some silverware, which is looking, you know, it looks bad with both, both Munster, who've been a long time without it, and even Connacht winning silverware, you know, you know, since Ulster last managed to, to haul something up in the air. I, I just think it's going to be very difficult, and I cannot, I, can, I don't think this squad's going to quite, going to, going to have it. To, to make to make both those scenarios possible. I mean, the European situation's interesting. I mean, and they haven't. I mean, they said that this was going to be a one-off this season. Then they had to rejig how they were doing it as a one-off. I mean, I haven't had a chance to ask Dan this, and I, and I will before the season's out, just to get a bit of a compilation from other coaches' views on the how Europe went this year. And there seems to be certainly, maybe not so much from Ireland, but certainly from England and Wales and Scotland. There certainly would be an interest to keep this type of format that they have this year, where you do have the opportunity to play in the lower tier competition if if it pans out that way. And it'll be interesting to see what Dan thinks about it. I think Ulster's goal will, will ultimately be the Champions Cup to play in that and to try and win that. And I think the Challenge Cup gave us a nice diversion away from it this year in a way, which was probably good. And I think if the provinces hadn't been, if you like, gifted a place in the Champions Cup every year, um, in the way that they were and had Ulster played in a Challenge Cup way back when. Um, they may even have won it and they would maybe be winning Champions Cups by now as a result of it. But I think this new format this year has certainly it's, it's given the Challenge Cup a, a higher profile as well. And it may be something that Europe governing Europe's governors will look at it, maybe bring it into another season to see how it goes. It'll be interesting. Don't know what your views are on it, but it's certainly, um, I think, certainly the television got good value out of it because they got good games of rugby in the last rounds of 16 in both competitions <laughs> and right through. Yeah, well, it certainly improved the visibility of the, of the Challenge Cup and the quality of it as well. And I suppose we'll see uh, see with the final to come, obviously. But um, yeah, that's just about all we have time for this week. We promised, uh, promised doom and gloom from the start. And with uh, Michael's prediction of a bottom half finish in the Pro 16, I think, uh, I think we duly delivered. So we will be back next week. Our Russian roulette of hosts will no doubt continue. So I've been Jonathan Bradley from Michael Sauter. Thanks very much for joining me. Thanks. I didn't think it was all doom and gloom. That's not fair. I tried my best, but thanks anyway. You did, Michael. You did. And Richard Mulligan, thanks. Thanks a lot. No, a pleasure to be on again, boys. And uh, Michael, you are the Grim Reaper. There is no, there is no doubt I'm about it. I'm not the Grim Reaper. Talk to the host. Talk to the host. He's in. I'm not just a Grim Reaper. I'm not. <laughs> thanks very much for listening. Yeah, thanks. All right. Okay. See you.